Welcome. I'm Suresh Rao, Artistic Director and Co-Founder of the Indian Summer Festival, and we're glad to share this event with you. Indian Summer Festival's podcast series was recorded at ISF 2020. In response to the global pandemic, our 10th anniversary edition moved online with 10 specially curated events. From Grammy award-winning musicians to emerging poets, Nobel Prize-winning economists to visionary environmental warriors, this year's programming spanned literary dialogues, intellectual debates, musical performances, and interactive visual arts experiences. I'd like to thank a few institutions for standing by us in a difficult time and helping us to continue to present outstanding artists and serve our loyal and growing audience. Special thanks to our founding partners, Simon Fraser University, major partners, Langara College and the University of British Columbia, our emerging artist sponsor, RBC, music series partner, Creative BC, our funders, the Government of Canada, the City of Vancouver, Vancouver Foundation, Province of BC, and the BC Arts Council, and of course, our media partners, the Georgia Strait, CBC, and Spice Radio. Welcome to It Could Be Verse, Poetry for a Pandemic. For centuries, poetry has been the literary form that has told the stories of our times. Poets have been the chroniclers of our battles, the heralds of our celebrations, and the ones who offered us solace in times of need. Join me and my co-host, poet, spoken word artist, and organizer, Angelika Solomon, as we take you from Vancouver to Mumbai to Abu Dhabi for a series of intimate readings by outstanding poets from around the world, offering us literature as shelter, medicine, and mirror. We've turned our original two-hour event into three separate episodes for the purposes of this podcast, with each episode featuring poems grouped around a common theme. Poetry for a Pandemic is presented by SFU Library. The first episode of our three-part It Could Be Verse series features poems that broadly speak about ancestors, inheritance, and the stories we remember. and welcome to Indian Summer Festival. Or if you're joining us again, welcome back. We'll be taking you to many places tonight and I'm sure you're listening in from many places, but I just wanted to acknowledge that I'm located in a city currently called Vancouver, which is the traditional ancestral and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations, the first people of this land. And now I'd like to introduce my co-host, the poet, arts educator and community organizer, and my friend, Angelica Solomon. Hello. How's it going, Sarish? It's going well. It's good to have you here, as well as can be. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Yep. <laughs> what to say. But um, you're nice to be here with you and to everyone who's here with us. And Indeed. we have poetry, poetry and, and some great poets to, um, to give us medicine now. We do. We have poetry, which is, of course, healing work and good, good medicine to us all. God knows that we need it right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, and poetry is going to, I mean, that's what is the life you live, no? It's, it's everything. I'm a poet here, yes, and poetry is my community. It holds my life together. And it's really an honor to be here tonight and a huge thank you to everyone who's 
given their time, their words, and their offerings. It really is, uh, as my partner, poet Brandon Wendt would say, poetry is like the campfire, and so it will never die, Mm. because it's really the place that we all come together to be in these dark times and share our stories, dance around the fire. Yeah, I, I love that poetry is the campfire. It's, you know, what, what keeps us together. Um, and, and it's funny because poetry and, and the reason we put this event together is also poetry is it's always been the historian and the, and the storyteller for centuries. Some of our epics, you know, that are central to so many cultures are poems. The, the longest poem ever written is, of course, the great Hindu epic, the Mahabharata, which comes in at 1.8 million words or something staggering oh, like that. And yeah, I mean, it's these are like huge cultural projects. I mean, the Persian poet Ferdowsi started his um, his lifelong poem, the Shanama, in 977 AD. And he did that work for 33 years. Um, and of course, like so much of European literature grows out of Homer, of, out of Iliad and, and the Odyssey, and then it, it remains with, with us for life. Or poems in the Zen tradition that are like philosophical queries or little spiritual teachings that comes in so many forms. You know? Yeah, we just, we have to keep our stories alive. And, and I think, you know, both Angelica and I were saying that the, the poets tonight are literary healers in this crazy time where the virus seems to be only one of our problems. We, we ask them what poems they would like to offer us. And so what they prescribe is sometimes sweet tonic, sometimes balm, and sometimes bitter medicine. And uh, really to start us on our journey across the planet tonight is the amazing Miss Christy Lee, powerhouse storyteller, hip-hop artist, poet from the Musqueam Nation and the current Poet Laureate of Vancouver. Let's go to Miss Christy Lee. Ita pawalia on the Siam Nasiaya, anta chaklia tilitim atla ho Musqueam. Than a tan that all the mat with on the men as to tumpkin tiam. Heichka. Than a mamina, tatano smartin than a mamina. Tanawail eaten amitstam a mali. Heitipka, slansialako as. Haitipka than Shwalakwa, Haitipka the Homkom Slanslani, Haitipka a Huelmoch Stamech, Haitipka a Spoutless, Haitipka a Manama, Haitipka a Skeg. Tetanos Martin, Homasquim Slani, Haitipka to Tamas, Haitka a Statlo, Ni Haitanishquas Kunita Makan. Greetings, my honored and respected friends. My name is Miss Christy Lee. My ancestral name is Khaklia, and I come from this beautiful place called Mali. This is only one of the many villages that are spread across the territory of this place we now know as the city of Vancouver. But our Musqueam people have been living on this land since time immemorial for over 10,000 years. Through the findings of archaeological evidence, oral histories, and the dialect that we share with our Coast Salish families, Hunkaminam, we speak the Downriver dialect. And this is it. This is the mouth, the north arm of the Statlo, of the river. This is where we get fish, 
crab, shellfish. Earlier, there was a little seal that was in the water greeting me when I first came. This is the place of my ancestors. This is where all the stories and the songs and the teachings come from. I'm so proud to come from this place that my ancestors took care of for not just me, but for my children, my children's children, and all the next generations that have yet to come. Our Humasquiam people, along with many Huelmoch families, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, all across the lands, we've been affected by pandemics before, especially over this way. Back there is the village of Sestam, once home to over 35,000 Musqueams, again through oral history and archaeological evidence and stories told to me by my ancestors. Our people were wiped out at Sestam through a pandemic, but we survived. We lived off the land. We came together as Hualmoch Masteoch, as people of the land, and we shared our bounties. We shared our food. We shared our gatherings. <laughs> we shared everything. And that kept us strong so we can be here in this time today, in 2020. But again, in 2020, we're facing another pandemic. But again, it's brought of all of our people together. It's been so beautiful to witness the sharing of wealth between families here in Musqueam. Excuse me, I'm getting a little bit choked up because my people mean so much to me. It's been so beautiful to see people drop off food packages and get out and sing songs. And every day at seven o'clock, everybody's banging their drums. It's such a beautiful thing. I'm so honored to be a part of this community and that my children get to live up here and that we get to live in this beautiful place that we get to pass on to the next generation. I want to give a big shout out to the Indian Summer Festival, who's always, always come to the Musqueam people, to the people of the land, to share and to follow the protocol of our people. So thank you for always remembering who we are because we are indigenous brothers and sisters from this beautiful planet. So thank you so much, Indian Summer Festival. The poem I'm gonna share with you today is a poem that was written by my father. We have many stories that we've passed down from generation to generation, but as time goes on, we need new stories because we live in new times. So this story was written by my father, the late Henry Charles, to pass down to the next generation. The sun rose by the mouth of the river. On a bright sunny day, a little Huelmoch girl named Kimora, she saw her brother paddling along the river, paddling in his canoe. He was there to spear the salmon. He saw his salmon swimming underneath his canoe. So he threw his spear into the water and caught some salmon. Kimora sang a beautiful song. Alistair speared a big, huge salmon and it fed our families. Kimora and Sophia sang and danced as their brother brought the salmon up to the shore. 
The mother cleaned the fish and called for the children. We're going to have a little feast. We're going to share the salmon. So Kimora, Sophia, and her mother came together and they made bread and they cooked up some wild rice and they steamed up some greens from the forest. While all this was happening, some more people from the village came by. They arrived with drums and sticks and paddles and more food. Together they circled up and they started singing and they started playing stick games. Kimora sang a beautiful song as her brother played and Sophia drummed along. Her brother was asked to play in the stick games and they sang, Kamora and the people feasted, Sophia feasted, Alistair so feasted, and the great salmon fed all the people. The sun set and the stick games went on all through the night. This is a beautiful story that will be passed on to my children and to their children and to the next children in this beautiful community to talk about how we as a community come together and share our bounties. We are of one heart and one mind. Thank you, Ms. Christy Lee. It's, it's, it's an honor to start this river of language with Ankaminam. Thank you so much, Ms. Christy Lee, and thank you for those reminders of whose land this is and where we are situated. And our next group of poets do the work of remembrance and radical care. Through poetry, we learn lessons passed down. We learn to listen to stories from beyond the grave and through poetry, we consider how our ancestors have brought us to this very moment, especially at a time where so many of us are experiencing that grief and that loss. It's important to remember, and the following poets do ask us to remember. And first, we go to India to meet Jeet Dayal, coming to us from Bangalore. We're about to hit the inconceivable number of 350,000 people dead in this global moment. I say inconceivable because it's difficult to think of 350,000 people dead over a period of 10 or 12 weeks um, and think of it as a real number, a real figure. The only way to make it real, I think, is to think of one person, one dead, loved person, and to then magnify that number, to multiply it. That's how you make it real. Because each of those numbers is one, is a, was a living human with, with everything that goes to make humans alive. This is a poem called The Haunts, and it's dedicated to one dead person. As starlight, as ash or rain, as a smear on the moon, as a tree 
a small tree, say a champakali, as a leaf or a man impersonating a leaf torn into shreds and fed to the wind, as the smell of a small dead animal, as a tremble on the stair, a mouse or air, a tear, a heave, as fear glimpsed from the window of a plane, as a telepathic ginger cat, a slit of moonlight that enters the locked house and leaves its stinking spore on each locked room, as a boat on the Moatapura River about to leave its load of two children and a, mo and a woman in the monsoon current. And if the river had taken them, how much pain would it have made? How much would it have saved? As my mother trying to push the monstrous head out from between her legs. As the God that swaggers the top floor of my spirit or the ghost that twists in the basement or the slave that inhabits the middle as the inconsolable soprano nearing the end of Ave Maria, as a cherry red Stratocaster elite found in a pawn shop in Vancouver and bargained down to $800, as bad heroin in a deli alley, pink pill crushed up and sold in a twist of paper, snorted hungrily, for no pleasure. As a woman, again and again, whose hair curls, whose mouth moves, whose eyes well like yours. As a figure by the side of the expressway, urging me to crash the car in a voice so calm and so wise, it took every shred of sanity not to give in as good heroine in Zurich, as a bloated white face on the ceiling of a borrowed room talking to me all night in words I am too high to understand, as a violin creeping through the trees in front of Humboldt University, and I understood music as the hunger that eats those it stokes as the careful lizard that patrols my brain, as the dazzled bird who steals gems, junk, whatever comes to build. And what did I build but a house of dust? As the ritual between newlywed insects, as an insect, horned, shivering, convulsed, tiny Tyrannosaurus throws as the white of my beard, whiteness beyond snow or stupor. As the abandoned child you were who said goodbye to wind and water, stepped into the opposite of air, 
said no to earth blood, said stop to body blood, arrived as white shadow without features or desire, as a drop of sacrificial oil, made your atoms integrate, tumbling, dripping, under in your hurry to enter the kingdom of eternal life. As illness, as liver disease, and the river of red wine that cures it, as the black grape that made the wine, as disease. As a black burn on the leg that appears overnight and stays for years. As an unexplainable lump on the breast or the shoulder. As an inability to breathe. As the sound of someone choking, someone close crying softly in the night as a dead girl with blood-red lips, blood-red eyes and cheeks, blood-red rum neck, as crematorium smell of camphor and meat, as whatever you want, just come back. Thank you. Next up is Aja Monet, a brilliant contemporary American poet, writer, lyricist, and activist of Cuban-Jamaican descent from Brooklyn. Aja Monet is currently in Miami in the United States of America. Hello, everyone. My name is Aja Monet. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, and currently living in Little Haiti, Miami. So grateful to be here with you all and to share a poem for today. I wanted to just sort of set the tone by saying thank you to the Indian Summer Festival for bringing me out to Canada to participate in the festival, I believe it was two years ago. Um, it was such a eye-opening experience. This is the first time that I had ever been to that region of Canada and to experience the range of culture and diversity and voices and art forms was so impactful for me. I think every opportunity we get to travel is something to never take for granted as we can see the current moment we are in where we are inhibited from traveling and being mobile it's important to uh, value those of us who can reach out across um, our screens and feel one another tell our stories and try to uh, persevere in this moment in response to COVID-19 it's a strange and difficult time, but we have been through worse as people and we will persevere. We will get through this. I wanted to share a poem that I wrote in the beginning of the pandemic, um, seeing as it's a moment where a lot of us are reconsidering and having to face our relationship to care and not just our personal self-care, but also collective care. What does collective care look like? For those of us who live in the United States of America, we're still arguing that healthcare is a human right, which is a travesty as we see the ways that this virus is impacting all of our communities, but primarily poor and black communities. Um, we have to radicalize and transform our relationship to care and how we show up for ourselves and one another. And so this poem is a way of thinking through care and the importance of care. So here we go. It's a quarantine poem. 
What does it mean to be considered, looked after, thought of, tucked in, held, or wondered about, attended to, regarded as deserving of want or need, never alone in arms, another belonging, a heart horizon wide, to friend, a ship with sails, harness the wind, lean and lay where a wound dreams, not a weapon or trigger to pull or peel pain, is a rattlesnake whispering sweet nothings of forever, the end gazing back at you. Care is a voice with hands trembling courage, a hold letting go here is a sip of love, warm and unspeakable music opens a chest, clears a throat like herbal tea, homemade breath crossing lung to lung, sharing air like a kiss, soft cough drop soothing shame like the rhythm of uncontrollable laughter. When you are sick, it's the gentle gestures of grace, a song in the thick of grief, a lightened load of laundry falling heavy on a shoulder. Care is a room full of listening. Care is familiar and thankless, while people hoard their nothingness. Lounging in despair, the earth cleanses itself of greed and cancer clinging to our bones. Uncertainty rocks us to sleep, mouthing words of prayerless tomorrows, clutching pearls of market-driven identity, work-filled and empty, everyone's chasing shadows on a conference call or in an email, but care is knocking on your door like Abuelita waiting online for food stamps. Care has mouths to feed, wastes no words, is deliberate, and knows tomorrow's not promised. The way the ground carries your feet is a care or how the dishes don't wash themselves. Care is inconvenient and intentional, like poetry pouring out anyway. Thank you so much for listening, and I wish you all uh, healing strength during this time. You're about to hear award-winning Canadian poet and storyteller Ivan Coyote joining us from London, Canada. In late May, in the year 2017, my Uncle Rob, he went in to visit his 98-year-old mom, my grandmother, Patricia, in the nursing home where she lived out her last few months, ever since her accident. And when he came into her little room, she asked him what day of the week it was. It's a Saturday, Mom. He told her. She took a small breath and announced that this was going to be her last Saturday on this earth. You don't know that, Mom, Rob said, but she gave him that look. She had this real withering look that she could lay on you. And it was kind of terrifying, and she remained capable of wielding that look for far longer than she physically should have been able to. And this look was usually paired with a frustrated blast of nose breath. <laughs> like that. She said, don't you tell me what I know. <laughs> this is my last Saturday. I feel a new kind of tired coming over me. And there's a girl 
She works here. Her name is Crystal. She only works weekends, but she's not here today because she's in Las Vegas with her sisters. One of them's getting married or something. So I'm not going to see her again. So I need you to come back next weekend, please, and tell her how much I enjoyed our little chats. And tell her that she should keep up with her studies. I mean, she's really good at her job, but she should stay in school. And I, I need you to do me one last thing. Rob nodded. She said, I need you to go downtown and get me a few things. I need, and if I know her, and I did. She counted those things off visually on her left hand. With the first slender finger of her right, she said, I need four cards. I need four envelopes. I need four blank checks and my exact bank balance. Oh, and I need a pen. And she gave him that look again. A good pen. So Rob, ever the dutiful son, he... He went downtown and he got everything and he came back about an hour later. He pulled the little rolling table over and she half sat up in her hospital bed. She carefully divided her remaining money into four exactly equal sums. And she wrote four checks, one for each of her four sons. She tucked each check into an envelope and told Rob to make sure that they all cashed them right away. She said, don't wait even, a day, even, a, even one day, right away. Don't let the bank swallow even one penny of it up in their red tape. She was adamant about this. Then she opened up the first card, and she wrote, Dear Robert, you were always my favorite son. Don't tell your brothers. And in the second card, she wrote, Dear Donald, you were always my favorite son, but don't tell your brothers. And then, Dear Fred, you were always my favorite son, but don't tell your brothers. And so on. Four times. For all four boys. And I was in a hotel, alone in Melbourne, Australia, when I got the call. It was the middle of the night. It was my mom, and I, I knew from the sound of her breathing before she even said a word. I'm so sorry to wake you, she said. She had a stroke on Sunday morning, and she never really woke up again. And she went in the night, late Monday. We didn't call you because we knew you wouldn't make it home anyway, and you two had such a good visit back in February that last time. But your Uncle Rob, he really wanted me to be sure to tell you that she was herself right up until the very end. Shalene Knight, creator of so many literary spaces for others and winner of the 2018 Vancouver Book Award, reads to us from Vancouver. Uh, my name is Shalene Knight, and I am the author of Braided Skin and 
Dear Current Occupant. Uh, this one's a memoir and this one's a book of poetry. I'm so excited to have been asked to read for the Indian Summer Festival and to have been a past participant. It's been a great privilege. So I would just love to share two poems from my book, Braided Skin, with you today. And I'm in my kind of a, I want to call it my quarantine alcove. I've been sort of tucked away in this little storage room that I converted to my reading slash work room. And behind me, I have some posters just from the past uh, events and festivals that I've, I've been a part of. Uh, so that's kind of my, my inspiration too for this, for this reading, to create that sense of home for myself. So I'd love to read two poems. And the first one that I'm gonna read is called Uganda 1972. A once promising land evaporating, the people abolished, divided, and shaken by the expulsion, the elimination, that threat of an ethnic cleansing of the Indian minority hovered over Asian carpenters, mechanics, shoemakers, and tailors, the middlemen flail in the political winds, Minority eyes must speak. Identify yourself. Break through for Uganda. Kampala, tombs of Kabakas have woven thatched roofs that swoop to a high point above the straw-laden floors, lending a cathedral-like silence to the sacredness of the earth below, where royal attendants continually watched over the remains of their dead kings, Kampala, the arched and pillared windows were endless. Nestled behind sundown rests an Indian dialect of silks and cottons. Their eyes lettered names like Patel, Desai, and Bombay Emporium. The ashes of Uganda walked many miles and carried their heads. The walk was tedious work. It took years. Now, it's an image left behind. Why should we wait in line for justice? Help us begin to drink the pain of Uganda and one day replant our roots. The mountains appear at sunset and the hillsides of women flow in the breeze. The men bring comfort, but their eyes, their eyes tell stories of death in their minds, their birth. Precious jewels in a hairdo or turban confiscated, but still hear tales of escape. They look back on the homes they built. They look back on the tiny store their grandfather established alone in their difficult hours, uprooted. And I'll read one more poem, and this one is called In the Green Room. Eyes on me, long stare up and down, longer stare. Stuck in this frustrating and degrading conversation, you who won't be happy with the answer I give because your perception of blackness is completely distorted. Assumptions come to the table already orally armed. Defend my skin tone, hair color, hair length, and hair texture. Isn't this one of the most multicultural mixed biracial baby breeding cities in the world? And no, you cannot 
touch my hair, tangled, caught between nails of acrylic tips, rows of fishtails intertwine, a maintained fusion, cut dead ends then, weave these tracks back like braids and plates. She oils and slick sides, pats down, then poofs up. Make up your mind. One drop rule bleeds into the, the blue-eyed illusion of good hair. Stressed to overprocess these tips, these roots, these plates, these locks, she dreads. Enter, stage left, and find the mic. Sing sweet, these brown skin confessions, brown skin Black skin, caramel-dipped skin, leathery, sunburnt skin seizes to remember skin like the war, torn, country, skin. She breathes skin. Found 14 feathers in a notebook imprinted on creased pages, faded, covered, led to an ellipsis, watched eyes burn holes through layers of skin, yet never happy with these answers of ethnicity. Let's gather confessions of ebony-boned princesses. Let's steal stories of brown-skinned contessas and drown memories of her one tone. Let me pick a side. Skin. Thank you very much. I look forward to listening to all of the other readings and I am grateful to have been a part of it. Thank you all so much. The final poet in this first episode of our It Could Be Verse series is Gillian Christmas, author of the recent luminous and fiery collection The Gospel of Breaking, also speaking from Vancouver, Canada. Hi, Gillian Christmas here. I just want to say how wonderful it is to be performing with these incredible artists um, from my little apartment in East Vancouver on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish people. Uh, it's an honor to be here with Indian Summer Festival. Um, you know, we've, we've worked together for years in the past, and it's always an honor to participate in your programming. Thank you for having me. And here is a small poem, and it goes like this. <laughs> Probably even Mama didn't know. 
She was a diamond in a pool of glass, the way they treated her. When we reached the hotel, nearly 50 years later, standing new and shiny in the same cursed spot, I learned that the pool is the last piece of the renovations. It will not reopen until after we leave. Today, I saw a small blonde-haired girl drift back and forth. Impossibly buoyant child, carried upward atop a weightlessness so deep and vast that she could not touch her feet to the bottom of it. The big blue stretched out around her, a clean white tile framing the scene in its perimeter. Mama was a little girl once. Once, I was too. Probably always will be someplace. After hours of travel, I pulled the tiny computer from my pocket. I, each blue image pouring from its screen. Everyone erupting new color. Some unknown and yet beloved brown face smiling after another. A newsreel of necessary medicine. Dancing dark girl pops her shoulder in my direction. Mean mugs until the camera looks away. Dancing dark boy and his father blow each other kisses with a tenderness that quenches my dreams. The remedy is loving each other harder. Loving these brown bodies more than water and deeper still. Mama remembers herself. Mama remembers herself. Mama remembers. Thank you so much.